Tonight's reading is Haggai, chapter 1, 1 to 15, page 948. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have willed help their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of, son of Shiltiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josaladak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Thank you, Mary. Good evening, everyone. And thank you to the team at Sorted for getting our youth excited about the book of Haggai. It is an exciting book. It's an encouraging book. It's also a challenging book, uh, and we're going to ask for God's help now as we come to the first challenge from chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would change us as we learn more about your glorious plans for your people. Help us to know how we should live in response. Help us most of all to see the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Location, location, location. Grand Designs, Grand Designs Australia, 
restoration man, double your house for half the money, selling houses, escape to the country, fantasy homes by the sea, there's more, DIY SOS, 60-minute makeover, Phil's secret agent, homes under the hammer, a place in the sun, property ladder, changing rooms, fixer-upper, that's a new favorite in our house. House Doctor, Britain's Dream Homes, Celebrity DIY, Celebrity Fantasy Homes, Get the Look, Love the Place You're In, My Flat Pack Home, My Dream Derelict Home, Help My House Is Falling Down. <laughs> there you go, it is possible to fill a whole solid 24 hours worth of TV watching with programs that will uh, tell you how to improve your home, how to get a better home, or how to buy a further home, another home. Our houses so often are vehicles for our dreams, aren't they? And also the cause of our worst nightmares sometimes. We live in a part of the world, a part of the country, where there is constant expectation that we should invest a good chunk of our time and money into our houses to make them more comfortable, more profitable, more saleable, or just a bit nicer than the neighbours down at number four. Can you remember, think about your own street, can you remember the last time there wasn't any builders at all doing any work anywhere on your street. Now, I speak as someone who's expecting the builders first thing tomorrow to come and finish a job they've been doing. Another thing to get ticked off the list. But what's on your list? Whether you own your own home or you don't, whether you look after multiple properties or your responsibility is just a few bits of furniture, what would you like to do with all that in the next year? What improvements would you like to make? What's coming onto that mental list you're making? Now, you might not have a house or a home to invest in, but we can each invest in all sorts of things, can't we? We do that. We might be a particular skill, a hobby, a career, a focus, anything that we're willing to give time and money to with the expectation that doing that, this, that's going to do us good in some way in return. A lot of the time we invest in good things, healthy things for us and others. Some of the time we invest in things that turn out to do us harm rather than good. Well, whatever's on your list for this year, the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai addresses us. He challenges us with a question that we each need to answer. And the question is this, will you make the building of the Lord's house your priority? Will you make the building of the Lord's house your priority? In other words, will you invest in the grand building project that God is leading over and above any of your other investments? Well, before we dive into this first prophecy from chapter one, let's think a little bit about what was going on in Haggai's world and how that connects with our world. Haggai was a prophet in the Old Testament. The job of a prophet was to uh, bring God's word to bear on the life of the people Israel, who were God's people, uh, on their relationship to God, to encourage the people to keep following the Lord, worshipping him, and also to warn the people that if they didn't stick with God and if they kept on worshipping other idols, then judgment would come. Now, many of the Old Testament prophets warned that this judgment was coming as Israel did have a habit increasingly of turning their backs on the God who had saved them and living for other things. And sure enough, God was true to his word. 
He brought a cataclysmic judgment on his people through the nations around them. The Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar and his army, they arrived, they destroyed the temple, they burnt down Jerusalem, and they carried away many of the Israelites into captivity back in Babylon. But superpowers come and superpowers go. And a few decades later, Babylon was knocked off of top spot by Cyrus, uh, king of the Persians. And he, a few years later, issued a decree saying that the Jews who who were under his authority, well, they could, if they liked to, return to Jerusalem and have a few resources to rebuild their temple. So about 50,000 of them did this uh, under these two men we read about in Haggai here, uh, the, the high priest Joshua and Zerubbabel, who's a governor uh, from the line of King David. So they start the rebuilding, but there's a problem. Because with all the powerful nations around and about them and the judgment they'd experienced and their feeling of being away from home for so long and the passing of time and generally life being pretty rubbish, Israel had forgotten about the special relationship that they had with their creator God. They began to prioritize other things, things that made them just a little bit more normal looking to the people around them. They were saying things like, let's, let's just press pause on the temple project. It's a big deal. It's been upsetting our neighbors the more we've done it. 70 years has been a long time to be away from home. We just deserve to just settle down a bit, sort out our own homes a bit, and and then when they're done, we'll maybe see about maybe doing some things on on God's house, the temple. That's what they say. Look at verse 2 with me. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They're going in for a bit of strategic inactivity, doing nothing. And we'll hear the Lord's response to that in a moment. But as we do hear what Haggai says to the people there, let's make sure we hear his challenge as a challenge to us. Because this side of the arrival and the salvation that Jesus brings, this challenge still stands for us, God's people. In fact, it's it's magnified, it's clarified in the age we live in now, the age of the church as we continue as God's people towards the fulfillment of God's glorious plans. So will you make the building of the Lord's house your priority? We're going to look at this chapter in two sections that move us from thinking about what's at stake to action and response. So firstly, the headline is, Think Carefully. Think Carefully. The Lord God says this twice to his people in these verses. So verse 5, did you spot it there? The Lord says, Give careful thought to your ways. And he repeats it there in verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways to your ways. Specifically, the ways he wants the people to be thinking about are the ways to do with their houses and their plans and God's house and his plans. So think carefully, first of all, about your house and about your plans. Now, the in thing in in Jerusalem, the kind of thing that would be in the Jerusalem ideal home exhibition was these paneled houses. That was the trendy thing then, And it seemed like most of the returning exiles, they were keen to get their own panelled house up and running and looking good. That's where they were putting all their time and money, their investment into. But when it came to the Lord's house and, and the neglect of that, well, they might have come up with some excuses, but they didn't really have some genuine excuses. They couldn't say they didn't have the time or they didn't have the resources 
because they did have those things, but they were just spending them on themselves. So have a look at verse 6. We're told here these people are earning wages, so they've got some money to invest somewhere. And look at how they're investing their time in verse 9. What is it they're busy with? Each of you is busy with your own house. And so they'd come out with this uh, line that sounded very strategic but was really very selfish. These people say, the time has not yet come to build the Lord's house. I wonder if we can justify our own priorities with similar sounding excuses sometimes. As Christians today, the building of God's house is still to be our priority. Now, what that means for us today is different to what it meant for Haggai and co. in their day. Because of all that Jesus has done, we do not now give ourselves to a physical building project with bricks and mortar, but instead to a spiritual building project. And it's that spiritual building project that we as the church are not to neglect. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that that we, the people of the church, are now God's temple. God's spirit dwells in our midst. And this is the temple. This community is what we want to see built up. Our brothers and sisters who we sit next to in Christ church each week strengthened in our walk together with Jesus. But sometimes don't we say to ourselves, it's not the right time for me to be making those kind of commitments or investing in others. Like the Israelites, we're good at finding excuses. It's been a difficult couple of years. There's lots of pressure on my time. We're still living with the effects of a global pandemic and lots of other things we could come up with. But do you have a list of other things you'd like to give your time and money towards? Where is God's house in your priority list there? Let's think carefully about our plans, our houses, our investments, our hopes, our dreams, our time, our money. Let's think about how as Christians we should steward these things, not just for our own plan's sake, but ultimately for God's house and his plans. Let's think carefully about God's house and his plans. So why was it so important that this uh, weak nation of Israel, when they got home, started to build the temple, to rebuild God's house? Why was that such a big deal? Was it really worth being their priority number one? Well, yes, it was. Because at this point in history, God's plans for his people, they centered on, on this house, this place, this temple. And they uh, relied on his people investing in that. And if they did invest in that, it would say three big things all the same time, all in different directions. If they committed to building the Lord's house, it would send a message to they themselves, the people. It would tell them something. It would show how they as a people still needed the Lord, their God. They still valued him. They still loved him. They wanted to worship him, that he was their overwhelming priority because of all that he is and all that he's done for them. So that's the first thing it would say to the Israelites that God is their God. Secondly, rebuilding the temple would have sent a message also to the nations around and about Israel. It would have been a sign to them to say, 
you know that God of Israel? Well, even though his people fell, even though his city fell, he's not dead. He's still alive. He's actually very powerful and glorious. And he hasn't given up on his people. The nations around Israel needed to hear that and reckon with that and ultimately come to worship this God. And thirdly, rebuilding this temple would have been a sign to God himself of his relationship with his people, his covenant with them. It would be a message from the people to their God saying, God, we are nothing without you. We need your purposes and plans to prevail. We are here to worship you and be your people. Please be our God. But Israel don't do that. They don't send those vital messages. They don't build as they should. So Haggai comes along and tells them what God wants to say to them, which is, think carefully about this. Okay, you've decided to, it's not the right time to, to build my house. You're getting on with your own houses. Think carefully here. Let me ask you a question in response. You've chosen that way. How's that going for you? How's life looking? And then the Lord tells them how it's going for them. Their houses might be tip-top, but the rest of life is pretty rubbish. Verse 6, um, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Verse 11, God calls for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Now these people are very much not experiencing the good life that they thought their nice paneled houses would bring them. It's not the blessed life. In fact, it looks a lot like the cursed life. There's futility to it. God is withholding things from them. And this should have rung several alarm bells for God's people, for it was a sign that they were not being the kind of people who God rescued them to be. Listen to some words way back from the book of Exodus in chapter 19 when God had rescued his people. God says to them at Mount Sinai, You've seen what I have did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings, brought you out to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Back then, the people said, yes, God, lovely, we'll do that. We'll obey you. But as we see from the skewed priorities in Haggai's day, they had a recurring habit of not living as God wanted them to live, not living in heartfelt thanksgiving and worship of the God who had rescued them. But yet, despite their repetitive failure problem, the Lord and his plans, his purposes for his people, his plans to be glorified, his plans to rescue other nations, none of those plans were thwarted. Rather, they ended up finding their focus in God's own son, Jesus, the one who is in very nature God, the one who became flesh and, and made his dwelling amongst us. 
And as lives are transformed, even today, through faith in Jesus and his saving work, God is at work building his house. His plans are marching on as ordinary people come to faith in Jesus and are added to this this spiritual building. As Christian believers are built up in Christ, God's plan to save the world today is being worked out through the church globally and through local churches just as ours. As people commit to Jesus, as people commit to one another, and as together we hold out the, the word of life to the world around. So let us think carefully about our plans and about God's plans. Let's make sure we're not neglecting God's house, his church for us, his congregation, as the Israelites in Haggai's day neglected God's temple. So think carefully with me. What has God blessed you with in particular? What resources has he put at your disposal? What possessions, what wealth, what experience, what time, what gifts do you have? And what do you think God might want you to do with those things? Well, as he says to the people in Haggai's day, he says to us, invest in my house. That's where the real action is. That's where true salvation is coming from. That's where true powerful life change happens. That's where I am at work. Invest in my house. Well, how do we do that today? We do it in pretty ordinary ways, but that cost us as well. So whenever we do the work of discipling another Christian brother or sister, of meeting up and encouraging another Christian, of opening the Bible with somebody, of spending some quality time just listening to somebody in church, praying with them, reminding one another of what God has said in his word, telling one another how much we need Jesus and how great he is. Whenever we do those things, we are investing in the Lord's house. Remember, for us today and for anyone today, Jesus is who we come to to meet with God. Not a building, but Jesus, God's Son. And as we come to him, the building project that he calls us to take part in is this glorious building up spiritually of his people. This is what we today as God's people should not neglect, this building up of one another I'm sure you're aware one of the great temptations of Surrey life is to get the best house possible for you and your family that you possibly can. Let's be aware of that. Let's clock that temptation. And let's then think carefully about our own priorities in the light of God's word. Remember that list I asked you about at the start. What are your investment plans for the year ahead? What do you want to spend time and money on? Either with a house or with anything else, really. Now try and write a a separate list in your head, another column. Think of all your plans to invest in the church family here at Christchurch this year. I won't ask you which is the longer list. It's interesting, that first list, we don't mind putting ourselves out to tick things off that first list, do we? Like I've got to do with the builders tomorrow, probably. Well, They'll get in the way, they'll cause a mess, I've got to be around more than I'd like to be but you get a nice window at the end of it. 
how much more should we be willing to sacrifice, more than happy, to put ourselves out for a brother, a sister in Christ, so that they can be strengthened in Christ and keep following Jesus and be helped to share Jesus with others because of the time or or the money or the skills that we give to God's house. Maybe you're here with us this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus. If that's you, we're really glad you're here. It's really great to see you. Uh, I'm really glad that you're interested in what our priorities are as a church, which we're trying to uh, look at God's word and see what he says to us about that. Uh, And what Haggai says to you is similar to what he says to uh, all of us Christians here. He's asking us, what are you investing in? What are you building your life on? What are you committing to that you think is going to do you the ultimate good? What are you relying on? Now, you might not be guilty of failing to build a temple somewhere in the Middle East, but the Bible teaches us, it reminds us that we're all basically self-centered by nature. We all want to ignore God's plans for the world. We all want to try and come up with our own plans and think of better ways to keep ourselves uh, happy and, and living the good life. But again, let me ask you, how's that going for you? I think we'd all probably say, if we were honest, not, not as good as I hoped it would, for all manner of reasons. Uh, the Bible tells us the main reason in that equation is our, our turning our back on our Creator God, our, our rejecting of Him, our, our rebelling against Him and His plans for us. But just like with Israel when God's plans weren't thwarted back then, he can still hold out grace, rescue to you today. He sent his son Jesus to die for people who have been neglecting God in order that they might be forgiven totally, completely. And if you today return to King Jesus with a humble heart, with you, when you make him your king, when you believe that he died for your sins, then you too can be added to this amazing spiritual building that God is getting ready for all eternity and glory. A building that God loves and cares for and cherishes, has wonderful plans for, despite what you might think of its present appearances. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Christian, if you are convinced that you should be making the building of God's house more of your priority, well, how do you get there? How do you get from feeling that to actually doing something? What will progress look like for you and I in this? We see the answer in verses 12 to 15. We've seen about thinking carefully. Now it's the time for building obediently. Build obediently. The people of Haggai day, they changed in, in response to Haggai's message. They, they got it. Something changed. They moved from indifference and God's house being way down the priority list to obedience. So verse 12, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. What did this obedience look like for the people then? What will it look like for us today? Well, firstly, this obedience involves repentance. 
So if we're keen to get going with this building project, we need to start with repentance like the people do here, build obediently with repentance. See, moving from a place of disobedience to a place of obedience always involves repentance, change, doing the right thing when you realize that's what I should be doing, not this, but, but that. I heard the story once of a school minibus driver who wasn't used to driving on the motorway. They were taking a, a sports team full of kids home from a match. But I think it was their first time on the M25, perhaps. They missed their junction. They missed their turn off. And instead of coming off at the next one and turning round and just coming simply back the other way, the minibus driver remembered that the M25 was a circular route. So they thought it would be easy enough to to just stay on the motorway all the way round, and then next time they just remember their correct junction and, and just come off. Now, you can't do that with all motorways. Wouldn't it have been much, much, much easier to just stop, admit you're wrong, turn around and go where you should be going? Well, if you're convinced and convicted that you need to change in response to God's word here, Don't be like that driver. Don't just think that things will sort themselves out eventually. It'll fall into place. No, we need to build with repentance, with change. We can see different aspects of uh, repentance and obedience happening uh, in the people here in these verses. So obedience for them, repentance meant action. It meant at the end of verse 14 there that they they actually showed up. They began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. But not only had their action changed, not only had their lifestyle changed, but their motivation had changed. They now obeyed out of a reverent fear of the Lord. That's the, the second thing to build obediently with, not just with repentance, but with fear of the Lord. This is what was driving them. So we see it there at the end of verse 12. Because they, they obeyed the, the word from Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Their whole attitude to God had changed. They now took him at his word. They now responded to him rightly while, by giving him the, the right honor, the right respect, the right fear that he deserves. And so they began to build obediently. And not just as isolated individuals either, but together. The building of God's house is to be done together. It's, it's a corporate project. Uh, so uh, they do it with others. Twice we're told in this paragraph uh, that this was Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people working together. So verse 12, they all obeyed. And verse 14, they all found their spirits stirred by God as they did so. And that stirring in their spirits enabled them to lastly build with assurance of God's presence. Notice when this assurance of God's presence comes here in the story. It comes to the people when they have started to obey. They're fearing God again. And verse 13, along comes Haggai again, and the people might have been thinking, oh, no, not Haggai again. What have we done this time? But the message this time for obedient workers is a positive one. It's an encouraging one, a comforting one. It's their God declaring to them 
I am with you. It's interesting that this becomes a bit of a pattern as the Bible story unfolds. God does, from time to time, assure his people of his presence with them. But it most commonly happens when they are stepping out to engage in the work that he has given them to do. As God's people make his priorities their priorities, as they change, as they have renewed fear of him and uh, and repentance and obedience of him, it's often then, with God's purposes in view, that the Lord reassures them and says, I am with you. Think of, for example, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the verses that give us our mission as a church here at Christ Church. Jesus instructs his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And with this mission, he gives assurance of his presence. I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what will it look like for you and I to commit afresh to this spiritual building project that we have as a local church? What will repentance look like? What will motivate us to change? Who will we build with? This call to repent and believe the good news, uh, it's something that Jesus says, it's his first words in Mark's gospel, but it's not something that we just need to hear right at the start of our Christian lives. It's something that we need to hear every day of our Christian lives. Something that defines who we are as Christians is that we are people who repent, who keep turning from our sin, who keep shining the light of God's word into our hearts and asking for his help, his power to change his spirit. Remember those, those two lists. What, what plans do you have to uh, give time and energy to stuff? What plans do you have to give time and energy to God's house. How could you improve that second list? Or maybe what needs to be put on the back burner of the first list so that you can give yourself to undivided fear of the Lord and commitment to his house? Here are a few suggestions. It could be for you that that means you, you need to just stop making church a, a part-time thing and commit to God's people here. Uh, You can talk to us about joining the Christchurch family here as a serving member. We'd love to talk to you about that. It might be for you to commit to giving financially regularly to Christchurch or actually commit to reviewing uh, your giving uh, and what else you could give or asking about what the needs are in the life of the church. It could be a commitment to join a a serving team in Christchurch be part regularly, week in, week out, of the, the various ministries that build up the congregation here and reach out with this good news. might be to meet with another Christian and to commit to praying for them and opening God's word with them and building one another up. might be being willing to be trained and to develop the gifts God has given you or to support the outreach and evangelism of Christchurch like at the High Street event. What concrete steps will you take? What might repentance look like for each of us? Why don't we work on that with another Christian? Let's find somebody else to talk about uh, that with this week. Assured of God's presence, why not commit to having a conversation this week that leads to a 
a healthy change in your priorities, where you're aware more of God's glory, of his plans for this world and how you can be involved. Will we make the building of the Lord's house our priority? Will we give our lives in joyful service of Christ and his church? Because as we will see next week, there's nothing more glorious to invest in. Let's pray. Let's take a moment and consider our ways, our priorities, our plans. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts, that we might obey your word, that we might have a greater vision and respect for who you are and what you are doing in this world, and that we might serve you wholeheartedly this week with the assurance of your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen.